Hello, this is Frank Falvey with Frank's Musings. And uh, Ukraine has been on my mind and a number of major issues around that uh, whole happening. Uh, one of the things about myself is I've always had the gift of the question. You know, that, that kid in school that asked the teacher that weird oddball question or uh, asked that question that uh, none of the rest of the kids in the class would ask. Uh, I've always kind of had that gift of uh, asking uh, politicians or teachers or other individuals uh, questions. And sometimes I've had opinions about the subject that I've uh, talked about or covered. And other times I have no idea what the answer to the question might be, or just have no idea what the answer should be. So today I'd like to explore uh, the Ukrainian uh, situation. And uh, because I believe it's time for the community uh, to ask and discuss as a community, not as a, a, a news paper reporting, we we keep getting the reports, but a chance to at least uh, look at the issues. I'm going to read something that you might seem as unrelated, but this is from Bede. Bede was uh, a historian of uh, religious happenings in Northumbria, and it, this goes way back into uh, I don't know, 6th, 7th uh, century history, uh, maybe even 10th or 11th century. But I, I think it applies to uh, Ukraine. King Oswald, a man beloved of God, when he was about to give battle to the heathens, set up the sign of the Holy Cross and kneeling down, asked God that he would grant his heavenly aid to those who trusted in him in their dire need. It is told that when the cross had been hurriedly made in a hole dug to receive it, the devout king, with ardent faith, took the cross and placed it in position, holding it upright with his own hands until the soldiers had thrown in the earth and it stood firm. Then he summoned his army with a loud shout, crying, Let us all kneel together and ask the true King and living God, Almighty of his mercy, to protect us from the arrogant savagery, savagery mercy to protect us from the arrogant savagery of our enemies, since he knows that we fight in a just cause to save our nation. The whole army did as he ordered in advancing against the enemy at the first light of dawn, won the victory that their faith deserved. To this day, they called the place Heflin, meaning Holy Field. We, we sympathize and our heart goes out to Ukraine we see the injustice that a country that was invaded by Germany in World War II uh, faced persecution. 
uh, many of whose citizens died in death camps. And then after World War II, was part of the Stalin and uh, Russia Kremlin, and uh, only has been somewhat of a free country, I don't know, uh, since uh, maybe sometime after the Berlin Wall fell. Ukrainians have been a particularly uh, religious people over the years. In Woonsocket, Rhode Island here, there are two Ukrainian churches. One is Roman Catholic, one is uh, Ukrainian Orthodox, and there was a third, St. Michael's, the Archangel Church in Smithfield, Rhode Island, which is more a local parish church who Sunday just had a prayer service for Ukraine. So the Ukrainian people were pouring out our hearts to uh, their uh, women and children are uh, fleeing the country uh, so that we're trying to give aid to that country. But here seems to be the crux. Russia has nuclear weapons. If R Russia did not have nuclear weapons, it seems that we would be there fighting on the ground. It seems that China now, because they have nuclear weapons, probably can take promotion whenever they want. Korea has nuclear weapons that are pretty far advanced. What are we going to, how are we going to handle it? Like Ukraine? Iran is proceeding with nuclear weapons. It seems that Russia holds a card that we don't want to uh, face, or, or do we? I mean, we have a tyrant, and we have a country backing this tyrant and acting as a tyrant against Ukraine. Should we? Should we draw the line here? Or should we move it on down the line and hope that we can negotiate a better world peace? Use of nuclear weapons. What would trigger it? Would our no-fly zone trigger it? Would any military involvement in any way trigger a broader conflict, a conflict that would quickly envelop our NATO allies. Here is an offset. Here is the balance. We could lose hundreds of thousands of European people. We could have a conflict in Europe again, in a Slavic country, um, or are we just deferring an inevitable thing down the road? I'm pointing this out because I'd, I'd like the community to begin looking at 
the issues and discussing the issues and how to approach them. I am bothered by the Ukrainian president not letting men flee the country, uh, not letting uh, men uh, actually leave the country, civilians, men, men that never ever served in the uh, armed forces, uh, men that have, uh, their families have uh, departed, uh, at this point something like three million of, of women and children, that men at the age of 18 to 60 cannot leave the country. Well, what's going to happen to these men, first of all? Everyone seems to say that Russia will eventually take control of the whole country. If they do that, will these men that now presumably Russia considers part of the armed forces be indiscriminately shot and killed only because they're there and they're men? Will there be any consideration given to those that have stayed back with families? These men that are staying, I do not think have a particular bright future given how Russia is indiscriminately bombing and using tanks and missiles to destroy completely the residential area and the whole uh, country uh, infrastructure. What will happen to these men and why ha should they not be allowed to leave and become refugees? Has this ever happened before? I mean, I am somewhat of a history buff. Um, I don't recall any, necessarily any country preventing men from leaving the country. It certainly may have happened. During the Vietnam War, we certainly imprisoned for 20 years or more men that burned the draft card. But we did let others simply go to Canada, and at one point we allowed them to come back from Canada. Why should a country under siege not let its men, civilian men, leave? The danger of nuclear plants. Chernobyl is capped with um, sand or brick or cement or whatever. Chernobyl was a disaster, and now it is at least hopefully mothballed. But we do have two other nuclear plants that are active in uh, Ukraine. I, I think I understand that they are the two largest nuclear plants in all of Europe. We have had fighting around them. We have had gunfire. 
we have not let the technicians at all leave. And as far as I can see, we have not allowed people from the Atomic Energy uh, Worldwide uh, Board or whatever it is come in to the Ukraine to help run those plants. To me, there seems to be a very high likelihood of either water or electricity or a, a shell, a missile, uh, 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 something fired uh, from long range uh, or even uh, mortars uh, going off at the facility. My understanding, again, is that this facility, either one of them or both of them, uh, become disastrous, then many hundreds of thousands of Europeans and maybe even uh, Russians uh, are going to die. It, it, it seems inconceivable, but highly probable that we could have a nuclear disaster. Um, do I think uh, Russia has an interest in protecting these plants to the point that they will do everything to keep them from uh, that disaster? No, I don't. I, I don't believe in their fighting and in the way they're preparing that they are going out of their way so that humanity uh, will not be totally affected and uh, the worst thing we'll be hearing coming out of Ukraine is not uh, the fighting, but how many have been radiated and will die. We need to consider international and the United Nations an action that is concrete, nuts and bolts, that will protect these plants. The weight of a broader conflict. What do you think, as ordinary citizens of Franklin, we would consider a point at which we need to act and have a broader conflict? Would it, would it be that uh, a, a missile uh, missed uh, its mark of a military uh, establishment or military convoy or base and uh, landed in Poland or landed in a, another country? Would we consider a, a Russian jet that overflew uh, Poland or a NATO country, uh, either by mistake or on purpose, a provocation? Would we consider uh, establishing a United Nations force to go in and militarily set up a human corridor for people to leave Kiev or Odessa or other cities. Where is that 
tipping point that we as Americans would say, well, okay, let's, let's join the conflict. Or is there no tipping point? Is there no point outside of a physical invasion of a NATO country that we would ever accept to use American forces. You know, the refugees, the women, the children, the aged, three million of them so far only to grow. Yes, European countries are accepting them with open arms. They're accepting them with uh, food and clothing and donations. The United States has never been a very willing or open country since, I don't know, the 1970s of uh, refugees. The only thing that we've uh, mishandled is you can cross our southern border and now that population that has immigrated and crossed our borders now is the second largest ethnic minority in the United States. Their culture is second culture in the United States and probably the most predominant. Have we accepted refugees from Africa, from the Middle East? How many came from Beijing before it went under communist control? I believe Canada, particularly Vancouver, Canada, accepted many, many more than we ever did. We seem to have quotas. Now, I can see, because when Sokhet has a Ukrainian community, there are other Ukrainian communities throughout the United States. Basically, the faith of these individuals are a faith of Roman Catholicism which is already established here in the United States. So I can see that we would be open possibly to a relocation of how many? I mean, we accepted 76,000 Afghanistan refugees. There is one family here in Franklin that we need to support and help and, and they do not have much of a community already built that they can quickly and easily become part of. The Ukrainians do. So should we be taking a half a million? And who will pay for them? The United States Congress, in its wisdom, passed a bill I guess of a billion dollars to help both with arms and I gather with uh, refugee and humane, humane uh, uh, help, medical help, uh, medicine. But why haven't we set up field hospitals on the Poland border? There's a lot of medical need there. We Even some of the troops that are fighting probably could be brought into Poland 
and, and receive medical attention. Why, why haven't we set up field hospitals? We did it during the coronavirus. Why did a billion dollar bill pass, and as far as I know, was signed by the president without funding? We seem to want to fund everything but not pay for it. We don't want to raise taxes. Here is a clear bill that we as citizens should in some way help pay for if we believe that it's a great bill. We should not be letting this money go unfunded. Prisoners of war. I haven't heard one word that any prisoners have been taken and are now confined. On either side, I haven't heard reporters at all say anything about capturing uh, the enemy, how many are captured. I mean, we can say that about how many are wounded or how many died on both sides. Those numbers are so vague to me uh, that I have no idea. But how are we, are we humanely treating? And do, we ha do either side have facilities to keep and house and feed prisoners of war? Or, or what's happening? Are they just being left to die or wounded on the battlefield? Are they truly being able to retreat to safer ground? And the other thing that I haven't heard reported is it seems to me that the Ukrainians have always had a particular religious faith. It is very liturgical from an orthodox point of view, if you're in an orthodox church. Michael the Archangel, in the center of Kiev, there is a tall, tall column with him on the top. Uh, I expect that that column certainly will be destroyed. But how is the Ukrainian church playing in the faith of these individuals that are still living in Ukraine, that have had to leave Ukraine? And how is our religious background and faith playing in understanding this whole horrible uh, situation. I understand that Syria uh, was gassed by the Russians. When Iraq gassed the Kurds, which was part of Iraq, they gassed the Kurds, part of their own countrymen, but a different tribe, uh, a whole different culture. The United States ambassador in the United States never, ever gave any indication that that was not acceptable until after it hit publicity, until after it became news. And we said we would never, ever allow gassing again. We just might allow it in Ukraine. If Russia gasses, they have the nuclear weapon. We might just bypass it.
Why is Ukraine being thrown to the top of the list in the atrocities that are being committed across the world? Why? Well, certainly because of its huge, huge impact and its overwhelming uh, uh, fighting and, and destruction, and it is of a magnitude that is very great. But what is happening in Tunisia? What is happening in Madagascar? What is happening to Muslims in a part of China? What is happening, I used to call it Malaysia, I think it's now maybe called Myanmar. What is happening with 12-year-olds are having heavy guns in Africa, and maybe Africa is ruled much more by gangs and tribes? Where has been our, our World War II, we saw uh, horrific destruction of gas chambers in human life of a magnitude that we haven't seen since, but that has happened. We have had gen uh, uh, um, indiscriminate killing of another ethnic group, genocide. We have had genocide. The Hutus, the uh, Tutsis, we have had genocide. And we said we would never allow that again. We, we said we wouldn't allow it. But we are allowing it, even to this day. I believe there are places around the world that are committing genocide, and we're not doing a thing about it. What should we do? What is your wisdom on this subject? What is, what is your thought process? What, what are the issues that you would like to explore more or have more detail on? You can uh, reach this station, Franklin Access TV, by calling 508 541 4118. It's located at 23 Hutchison Street, which is off Union Street. And you can t talk to Peter Fasanello about uh, having a response either on radio or on TV, uh, if you would care to. You can also I think speak truth and facts. One of the problems that we hear from Russia is that they're not allowing information to flow. One of the problems in the United States is if we see something and it's factual, it's actual, we don't believe it. How do we come back to speaking both individually and holding our elected and decision-making individuals to giving the exact facts of a situation, to giving the facts and agreeing on what 
the facts are. Maybe we'll disagree with what the implication of the facts are going to be. But let's try to have a discussion. Because here in Ukraine, the dark side of human nature is being played out. The side of human nature that uh, wants to build an empire doesn't necessarily particularly care about human life, care about more of an empire. Where is the light? Can our uh, religious community, can our individuals, where is the light that is over going to come this darkness? How can we, as a community, bring up and promote and shine the light? Well, this is Frank Falvey with uh, Frank's Musings. Uh, until we uh, meet again, may God bless you and may around the St. Patty's Day. May the sun shine warmly upon you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the rain fall gently on your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. This program was made possible by your Franklin friends and neighbors. Good folks, just like you. Thanks for supporting Franklin TV. And thanks for watching.